Good morning. Uh, for those that do not know me, uh, I am Jimmy Fowler. I am the executive pastor here at Redeemer. And it is my joy, honor, and privilege uh, to bring God's word this morning. If you've got your Bibles, please turn with me to Acts chapter 18, verses 24 to 28. Acts 18, 24 to 28. We're going to be continuing our series uh, here in Acts. As I was preparing for this sermon, um, I was able to kind of spend some time sort of reflecting on the goodness and grace of God in my own life, right? As we're looking at, at 24 to 28, and as the title of the sermon sort of suggests, we're looking at teaching and teachability. And I, I was reflecting back to uh, those individuals that God placed in my life that poured into me, that poured into me, that, that loved on me, that cared for me, that encouraged me, that corrected me. And I, I look back and I go, my goodness, how good has the Lord been to me? You know, early on, even before I, uh, uh, when I was first sort of hearing the gospel for the first time, I, I grew up in a, a nominal Roman Catholic home and, and had been raised up in, in Catholicism, and uh, whether it was elementary school, or then even in, in high school, and, and at age 15 for, was sort of led to start attending uh, this youth group actually just down the road here at Christ Community Church. And as, as I was hearing the gospel being proclaimed, the Holy Spirit used the, used the individuals there to really uh, proclaim to me the goodness of God and the sweetness of the gospel. And there was an individual there, the youth pastor at the time named Jeff Vanderstelt, that just, he really loved on me and cared for me. And if, if you don't know me and know a bit of my personality, let me just kind of share this. I could be a pretty blunt, crass really direct, sort of a jerk, self-centered, selfish. Don't nod, Mrs. Beck. Like, you know, I said I was. Okay. I still got some work to do, everybody. But even in the midst of that, I would sit there because of my insecurities and my feelings, and, and I would really push back against Jeff, and I would, I would argue with him. I'd be upset with him, and, and he would just gently and lovingly correct me. He'd put his arm around me, and he would, he would, he would meet with me, and he, we'd get together for, for coffee or for, for, um, for dinner, and he would just gently just sort of disciple me. And then even thinking, as I, I've had you know, many people in my lives, I think of, of this uh, couple that Michelle and I are very close to named the phrase. They, they, I met them. You know, Brad is Canadian and, and Julia is Russian, and I met them in Minnesota and had de developed this really deep friendship with them so that when they moved uh, to Canada, I sort of followed to be with them. And even now, we, we, we stay in great contact with each other. They live in London, and anytime I'm there, I always try to connect with them and see how things are going. But, but even in Canada, you know, here was, for me at the time, 19, uh, 20 years old, 20 years old, sort of on my own, in Canada, and this, this couple from the church took me in. Fred and Glenda, uh, I, 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 I love them and I care for them. Deeply, Glenda passed away, and, but, but Fred and Glenda brought me into their home and they loved on me, they cared for me, they treated me like I was their own son. And even now, at least once every other week, Fred and I are, are on the phone, checking in, seeing how things are going, encouraging one another. 
I think of my time spent uh, when, I, when I lived in Uganda and, and in Kampala and stayed with, with a, a pastor named Michael Rothomio and, and how much he would just, even though he would just have these long days of ministry and, and such, he would spend time every evening with me having a cup of tea and just talking about the things of God, talking about ministry, talking about just what does it mean to, to cultivate, cultivate this life that, that seeks to glorify God in all things. I have been tremendously blessed. And there are people in this room that, that have also imparted upon me in discipleship. They've cared for me. They've, they've corrected me. They've, they've, they've come alongside me. And I think if you look back in your own life, you can see a lot of that blessing as well. You can see a lot of that blessing where God has brought individuals into your life. You know, this whole mentoring and discipleship sort of, you know, uh, relationship is, is one that is scary for some, oftentimes. Some, that they, some for others that they long for. We've seen good examples. We see bad examples. I mean, you look at, you look at Paul and Timothy. You know, we see this, this great example there in Scripture. And, and in our text today, we're going to be looking at Priscilla and Aquila as well as uh, with Apollos. That's another great example. But then we think of, we, you know, we've also seen like in, in movies and stuff. I mean, you see uh, 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 Obi-Wan and Anakin. You see Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan. Right? You see like this, these individuals that kind of gather together to, to disciple and to be taught and then to learn from one another. And in both, you see like this, this friction. You see this friction of, of learning to deal with one's own pride and arrogance and ego and, and learning to humble themselves, to be in a posture and a position to, um, to receive instruction. And as we look in this morning, what I want us to see is this, that we need to embrace a passion to teach God's word and a humility to learn from fellow believers. As we go through here, this, this snippet, these four verses, I want us to see that we, are, we need to embrace a passion to teach God's word and a humility to learn from fellow believers. So if you've got your Bible, please, Acts 18. We'll start here at, at verse 24. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. Please pray with me. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for uh, the opportunity to, to study and to look at it to, and, and for us to be able to just sit under it, Father. I pray that your spirit would lead us and guide us, that, that you would soften our hearts, 
that our minds would be renewed, that we would be encouraged, but also convicted in ways that we have been arrogant or prideful or stubborn. We pray this all in your name. Amen. So we are to embrace a passion to teach God's word and a humility to learn from fellow believers. And we're going to kind of look at this in two ways here, and it's going to be pretty, pretty simple and standard here, that we must embrace. First, we're going to be looking at that we must embrace a passion to teach God's word. And secondly, we must learn from fellow believers with humility. Before we get into that, let's kind of go, go through a bit of a recap and, and a bit of a background here. You know, we looked at last week in the previous passage that, that Paul leaves Corinth or Achaia and heads to Ephesus, that he had spent some time and, and he left and uh, uh, he was there. People wanted him to stay, but he moved on. But he left and heads, to, uh, heads there with Priscilla and Aquila. But he leaves them there and heads on to Antioch and onwards to strengthen these other churches. We kind of have this this ending of Paul's second missionary journey. Next week, it'll begin. We'll start to look at uh, uh, Paul's third missionary journey. But here now, Luke, the author here, kind of breaks away from Paul. He breaks away from, uh, from talking about Paul to focus on these three individuals, to focus on Priscilla and Aquila and Apollos and what God is doing in and through them. And so we've been introduced to Priscilla and Aquila in the past, but just let's remember a little bit more about them. They were husband and wife, and they were Jews that were expelled from Rome. We read that at the beginning of Acts, that they were cast out, sent out, told to go away. And then Paul stayed in Corinth with them, and together they were working as tent makers. They had built this relationship and this friendship and this ministry together, and they, they worked together as tent makers, we read in Acts 18.3. As mentioned, they, they traveled with Paul from Corinth to Ephesus, and they stuck around. Paul, Paul left them there behind, and, and we read in 1 Corinthians that this is a couple that, that hosted a church in their home in Ephesus. Here we have these believers that are on mission. They were on mission with Paul. They had been working with Paul, and they had this deep desire to, to proclaim the goodness of God in communities. And so they hosted a church in their home. We read in Romans 16 that at some point they risked their lives for Paul. And then when they're in Rome, they hosted a church there as well. So now we have, we have Priscilla and Aquila. We have a little bit of a, a bit of a background on them just to kind of remember a bit more about them. But then we're introduced to this new character named Apollos. And we'll hear more about Apollos as we go. He comes up a, a number of times, but here we read that he's a Jew from Alexandria. Now, Alexandria is this, this sort of large community, right? It's this large city. It's kind of second to Rome. And it's known to be kind of like this, this learned cultural hub, right? And so there we, he's, it says he's an eloquent man and competent in the scriptures. You know, there's a large Jewish community that, that resides there. And so we don't know, you know, is that where he kind of learned? Did he kind of grow up in this faith? In the faith that he grew up being taught, as, as we read of others, by, by grandparents and such? Or, or was he just as he's part of the synagogue? Or is that just part of the, the, uh, the culture of the town itself? But he's an eloquent man. He speaks well and competent in the scriptures. And it says here that he, 
taught accurately about Jesus, though he only knew the baptism of John. So it's not that he taught anything, he wasn't incorrect, he was incomplete. He wasn't wrong, but he needed more. It also says here that he was fervent in spirit. That's different. There's a difference here when one says they are fervent in spirit versus fervent in the spirit, right? Here, it's like this idiom or this picture of uh, uh, he, it, it like boils up inside him. It's like a passion, right? He's enthusiastic. He's, he's zealous, right? He's fervent in spirit. And so he taught accurately about Jesus, though he only knew the baptism of John. So we're looking here then talking about, you know, the baptism of repentance that John proclaimed. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand versus baptism in faith of faith in Jesus. It's almost like looking at he understood the content of the gospel, but maybe was missing the significance and application of the gospel. But wherever he was at, and a lot of scholars try to debate on that, The one thing we know is this, he was incomplete, and he needed some teaching. On paper, you read, like, this is a a great individual that you'd love to have for ministry, leading your small group or your community group or leading your church. You've got this individual that is is passionate, that is eloquent, that is well-versed in Scripture, and yet we see and know and understand that wasn't enough. He needed more. And so... We want to embrace a passion to teach God's word and humility to learn from fellow believers. And when we talk about embracing a passion to teach God's word, it's not just for those who are called to ministry. It's not just for those who are called to lead a church or to be an officer of the church. It's not just for those who are called to missions abroad. It's not just for those who are called to to ministries. It's for everybody. Every believer is called to teach and to defend their faith. 1 Peter 3.15 But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Always be prepared to make a defense. And yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience. So all believers are called to this. And as we're going through this, I think you're going to see there's a bit of a, there's a similarity here. When we're talking about uh, embrace a passion to teach God's word, that is not just for Apollos, but for Priscilla and Aquila. It's for the one being discipled as they proclaim the gospel, and also the discipler that is instilling knowledge into an individual. So when we talk about all of us, then we're saying that we're all called to this, to proclaim God's word to a lost world, but also to proclaim God's word to each other. It's not just for out there, but it's also for in here. It's not just for those that are lost, but that those are saved. And some hesitate. Some hesitate to to teach and to defend, defend their faith, whether to the world or to each other within the church. And some hesitate because, one, out of fear. Fear of man and fear of mistakes. They're afraid of, what happens if I, if I talk to an individual that doesn't believe and they think they get upset with me? What if it changes the dynamic of the relationship 
They don't want to hear this. Why should I push this upon them? Why should I even share this with them? Or they don't want to have that awkward conversation with, with another believer that maybe is erring in what they believe or in what they say or how they act. They're afraid of the, the nature of the relationship changing. What if they no longer want to be my friend? What if they no longer want to hang out with me? Others fear because they're afraid of making mistakes. They're afraid, I don't know what to do or, how, or what to say. I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't want to lead people astray. I don't want to put someone in a position that they start believing in the wrong things. It's kind of jumbled up. I don't know where to start. I, I don't want to kind of, I, I don't know where to begin. And, and Luke 12 says this. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the son of man, also will acknowledge me before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. So here we're, you know, he's talking about acknowledging Christ, right? Acknowledging Christ. But we're, there's a boldness there to teach and to defend. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. So as we have this fear of man or of making mistakes, we should be encouraged in knowing that the Holy Spirit, the counselor, is here with us, leading us and guiding us. That in the midst of those situations, we can be assured that the Holy Spirit will lead us, will bring to mind things to say, will bring about scripture in your mind. Or even just this, this sense of just what uh, the boldness to be able to proclaim to them something that is incorrect in their lives or in their belief. Some hesitate because they're just ill-equipped. There's a neglected personal discipleship that happens in their lives where they're neglecting the study, the personal study of God's word. Actually delving deep and, and spending time devotionally reading God's word daily for themselves. It's hard to proclaim the good news if you don't quite understand the good news. It's hard to proclaim the word of God if you are not in the word of God. And so some are just personally neglectful of their own discipleship, of their own study, of their own need to, to, to understand and to grow in their faith. But that some are ill-equipped because some churches neglect formal discipleship. Where the Sunday morning is, it's just more kind of churning people in, churning people out. Instead of pressing in and saying, we want you to be part of our community. We want you to be part of, of our community groups or our Bible studies or our discipleship groups. We want you to be a part of this community so that you yourself can grow in your faith and in your love and in your knowledge of God. Some hesitate because they just witness bad examples. There are some people out there that are extra. We'll say it that way. There are some people out there that, that for whatever reason, are, are bad at sharing the gospel. And I'm not talking or, or even correcting other brothers and sisters in Christ. And it's not because, it's not because they have 
they, ha- they don't have the words for it, but that they don't have the right demeanor and goal behind it. So while some hesitate, some should hesitate. Some should hesitate to open their mouths. And it's for two reasons. One, their demeanor and their goal. Some people come off really, really crass. And it's because part of it is that their goal is not to win somebody over, but it is to win an argument. And that could show itself when you're presenting the gospel or when you're trying to encourage a disciple, your fellow brother and sister in Christ. Our, how we come about it, how our demeanor should be a position of love and care for that individual. Our goal should be that they would see clearly the truth of God's word, that they themselves can be changed by that. And we're called, uh, we're embraced a, uh, to a passion to teach God's word, to proclaim it to a lost world and to each other. Romans 12, 11. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. So we are called to, to be passionate about that, now, but that passion and that zeal is not to be fake and forced because we're called to be authentic with that passion And we should cultivate that passion for ourselves. I often find that in my own life, and this is for me, that when I lack zeal or passion for God, uh, for, for proclaiming God's goodness to a lost world, or for proclaiming God's goodness to my fellow brothers and sisters, it's because I have lacked a genuine belief that the gospel is transformative. See, I think that that zeal and that passion, that, that zealousness becomes authentic when we genuinely believe the gospel is transformative. When we see that what the gospel has done in our own lives and in the lives of our children and our friends or in our, in our relationships, we can then see the power of God at work. And when we forget, we gen- when we forget that, I think we lack that zeal, which is why we, when we then proclaim, we want to go ahead and talk about what we know, which is our own personal testimony, sharing what God has done in us and, in us and for us, sharing how God has, has worked in your life, whether that's a gospel proclamation that I was lost and now I am found, or whether that's an ongoing a conversation about the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in our own lives. And we share that with our brothers and sisters. You know, one of the things I, I, I really stuck out to me in this, uh, this passage was here we have Apollos who doesn't know Aquila and Priscilla. They don't know him. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. You know, it's easy, especially in our culture, in our our day and age, and and there's sort of this this, this demeanor that you see definitely on Twitter, but you see it creeping up within the church, is to call people out publicly and to just shame them and to just embarrass them to just harass them because the, the demeanor is not for loving, for, to love them, and the goal is not to correct them. The goal is to make yourself look 
smarter than them. But here, Aquila and Priscilla pull him to the side. And that doctrine, correct doctrine matters. You know, we, they pulled him aside to correct or maybe to, to help complete more what it is that he's preaching about. And they took him aside, this correction and this discipleship, and then they didn't leave him. They worked with him. And when we're, talking, when we're looking at teaching God's word, whether we proclaim it to the world or we pro- proclaim it to each other, we're called to be loving because love and compassion should fuel us in both cases because if not but the grace of God, I would still be in that position myself. You know, I've got a lot of patience for unbelievers. I have a lot of patience because I look and I say, they don't know better. Like they don't quite understand it. The, the, it took the spirit of God to change my heart for me to like, to come to a saving knowledge of, of faith and in him. I have a lot of patience. I struggle sometimes with, with believers. And that's something where, where God has been convicting me is to be patient with those around me. Because people are not going to move as fast as you think they're going to move. It's going to take time for people as they progress in their discipleship. Things, discipleship doesn't happen overnight. These things take time. It could take weeks, months. I'm still in progress. And it's been 20-something years. But we want to be loving with those around us. And to see people through God's eyes that he loves them, cares for them. And we are called to be bold. To step out in faith. Whether we proclaim outside or even inside. And the inside might be one of the harder ones. You know how hard it is to sit down with a brother and sister and say, I'm kind of concerned about this. You risk a lot in that moment. You risk some relational aspect there. Because you don't know how people are going to react. But because of the glory of God, the purity of his bride... And for the discipleship of the individual, we step out in boldness and in faith. And we're able to do this by preparing. We study and memorize scripture, spending time in God's word, getting steeped in God's word, sitting under the preaching of God's word, studying God's word with other believers. We spend time in prayer because we look and we depend upon the Holy Spirit to lead and guide us, to show us our own errors, to give us that boldness and zeal. And so then we are patient with those as they are going through their own process. In the same way, we hope people would be patient with us as we go through our own process. And each and every single one of us have opportunities for this, to proclaim to a lost world and to proclaim to our brothers and sisters. At home, you've got family, You've got children. For some of us, for some of us as, as men, we are called to be the head of our households, leading our homes in discipleship, to be correcting our children, to be catechizing them, to be teaching them how to read scripture on their own, to be modeling what a, a faithful husband and a, a God-fearing man looks like to them. with our colleagues at work, with our fellow students in university. And in the church here, we have plenty of opportunities for mentoring, 
to be able to come alongside others or have someone come alongside you for mutual edification. And we must learn from fellow believers with humility. So it's not just about being able to just throw yourself out there and say, I'm here to teach you. But it's also what it means to to be taught by others, to be learning from others. All of us should be in both sections of that discipleship continuously. Who are we discipling and who is discipling us? Others have called it, who is who's my Paul and who's my Timothy? So when we learn from fellow believers in, in humility, part of that's knowing your limits, knowing that you don't have it all figured out. None of us do. None of us have it all put together. None of us have it completely correct or completely complete. None of us have that. And learning from others highlights our own limitations and also the greatness of God, that he is magnificent, that he is glorious, that there is no way in this life that we will fully understand and comprehend everything about our God. And so we know our limits where we're able to have this posture of uh, uh, this, this humble posture of knowing I don't have it all together. I need others to help me grow in my faith and in my understanding. And this takes intentionality. It takes intentionality for each and every single one of us to cultivate a teachable posture open to learning and correction. You know, there's a danger here as I, I read about Apollos. It, it Apollos, it works out well. Praise God for that. But I've been in ministry and I've been in other churches and I've seen a number of people that are incredibly gifted by God. Incredibly gifted. And these are the people you're just excited for. You're, 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 you want to, you, you're trying to grab a hold of them. You're trying to help them. You want to provide and, and, and provide opportunities for them to grow. And yet, though, because of arrogance and pride, they don't, they don't humble themselves for, for teaching or to be taught. And sometimes that manifests itself in, in heavy-handed, insecure, arrogant pastors. Because there's a thought of, well, I've gone to the, I've been to school, I've done the training, I've been in ministry for 20 years, I've grown up in the church, I went to, to Sunday school, I went to youth group, I went on to Bible school, I've got two majors uh, 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 from the school, I went on and, and I'm ordained. Like there's, there's such a mentality of, listen, I've gone through, what are you really going to teach me that I don't already know? And then part of it becomes an insecurity because they quite understand that they're lacking in some areas. And so the best way to kind of combat that is to just push people away and to have a heavy handedness, a domineering spirit, and make claims like, you're never allowed to stand up to the Lord's anointed. I am the Lord's anointed. I have the scepter. You see, ego, pride, or one's position within the church needs to be put to the side because all of us benefit from personal growth and maturity. Hebrews 5, 12 to 14 says this, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food, For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. 
But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practices to distinguish good from evil. You see, as we grow and we uh, succumb, or not succumb, we, we enter into discipleship, it helps grow us more and more in our understanding. And we want to have this community of mutual edification. We are not called to be silos on our own, on an island. We are called to be in community, and community is crucial in our spiritual development. To have the notion that I could live this Christian life apart from the church, or I can live this Christian life apart from discipleship with other believers, is a dangerous position of pride and arrogance. We need each other. We're called to be with each other. This is non-negotiable because we are part of the body of Christ. We are members of the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. We are called to be together and to actively engage in meaningful relationships. These relationships that, that we learn from one another, that we grow with one another, that we hold each other accountable. And there are common challenges. People I've heard over the years, and I, I struggle with these challenges myself. I oftentimes find myself saying, well, I can't engage because I'm just busy. I've got a lot going on. I've got a lot going on in my personal life. I have a lot going on in my work life. I have a lot going on in my family life. I'm not able to engage in these things because my schedule is just jam-packed. Yet somehow I find time for the things I want to do. My schedule hasn't changed. My workload hasn't changed. But somehow I find a way to do those things that I want to do. Some of us just have distractions where life just kind of builds up and maybe there's a fire to be put out or, or, or issues to be dealt with. But we need to push through. Uh, but then also for some of us, there's a seasons of spiritual dryness. Because we have pulled back, because we have not engaged, we have become spiritually dry. And it's in the midst of those times that we should push in even harder. Push in even harder to the means of grace to spending time together as a community, not just on Sunday morning, but in community groups and discipleship groups, to spend time in fellowship with one another, spend time in, in the word and in prayer. See, if any of us could, if we really wanted to, we can make the time for discipleship, to disciple others or to be discipled. If anyone's really, really wanted to, you could find that time. Because we need to learn how to set priorities for what's important. What's important for, for me personally, because I need the community around me. I need others to speak into my life. But my, my children need it too. They need a father that is investing in them, that is discipling them, but then also models for them what Christian living could look like. You see, God used Apollos to advance the kingdom. We read how he goes on to, to Corinth and the impact that he made. 
God used Priscilla and Aquila to prepare Paulos. They were both bold and humble. But they were also both passionate for God's glory, that the Lord would be proclaimed to the nations. But then also to each and every single believer for their own sanctification. We must embrace a passion to teach God's word and a humility to learn from fellow believers. Let's pray. Father, I, I thank you for your word. I thank you for, honestly, I thank you for the correction that you've had in my life where, you've, where, you've con, where I've been convicted of my hard-heartedness, of my stubbornness, of my arrogance, of my selfishness, of my self-centeredness. Father, I praise you for, for people that you've brought into my life that have just called that out in me, that have, that have pushed me to study that have pushed me to, to know your word and to pray, that have pushed me to proclaim. Father, I thank you for those that have, that have pushed me to, to look at things differently and, and for others to, to not be judgmental, but to be caring, to, to not be hostile, but to be approachable. Father, I thank you for, for the brothers and sisters throughout the years that, have, that you have used to invest in me. Lord, I pray for all of us that we would have this, this posture of humility, willing to learn, ready to learn, open to learn, and that we would have this boldness to proclaim you to a lost world, but then also to, to correct our other brothers and sisters in Christ, not in a spirit of hostility or in a spirit of, of trying to just beat them down, but in a spirit, Lord, to see them truly embrace you, to see them truly Follow you because we know, Lord, that your ways are good and perfect. Lord, I pray that as brothers and sisters here at Redeemer Fellowship, that we together, together would grow in our affection for you. That we would grow in godliness and that we would grow together to seek your glory. Pray this all in your name. Amen.